We are in 1 John chapter 2 today. Started the book uh, of 1 John last week. And, uh, you know, much like the Gospels, we talked about this last week, John starts right from the beginning, right? So in, in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. That's how he starts. The Gospel, or uh, the book of John, he goes, he says uh, that from the beginning, that which we've heard, that which we've seen with our eyes, and we've looked upon with our hands, that our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. Right there in the beginning is Jesus. Before all things, He was there creating. He has always been God, eternal for eternity past and future. And uh, then He goes on in chapter 1 to talk about that when we receive Christ, we are brought into fellowship with Jesus, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but also with one another. That as we draw near to the Lord, we find ourselves drawing near to each other. And, and that's that unity that we're called to. Even though we're all from different areas of life, different backgrounds, different heritages, it doesn't matter. That as long as we're pressing forward toward Christ, we find ourselves being drawn closer together. That's the way it's supposed to be, the way it's supposed to work. And John will give uh, several reasons for writing this letter. And the phrase he uses over and over again is, uh, you know, uh, I write to tell you, I write for this reason and in chapter 1, he says that our joy might be full. The word for full means complete or mature or filled to the top is the idea. Not just a little bit, like we've got a little joy quota that needs to be filled. It's all the way overflowing with joy. And that the idea is that Christian maturity isn't becoming more sour, more serious. It literally is to become more joyful. The, the, the joy of the Lord flows from our life and actually becomes the strength of our life, just as Scripture says. Um, and now he's going to give more reasons for writing this letter as we get into chapter 2. And it really, as we continue through the rest of this letter, he, he continues to give reasons. But they all come from that idea or the truth of wanting to make our joy filled to the top. So what he's going to give us from this point on, is these are the things that make for that joy. These are the things that will add to it or take from it, right? And uh, so, as always, we're going to stop for questions along the way, but I need to start saying this again. You know, it's about every couple months i got to remind that it's, we'll have question and answer, but it's not statement and answer, right? So, so it's, it's, you guys all have good things to share, but when we stop for question and answer, if it's not a question, you've got to hold it until after church. Um, but we will stop for questions on our way. So let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would just uh, speak it into our lives, that you'd change our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you'd have your complete way here today. And that you would just uh, show us how each one of these things fits into our lives and has worked out in our life through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to take some kind of big chunks here so that we get through uh, the chapter. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. Not by this, excuse me, now by this we know that we know him 
if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Another reason John writes this letter, he says that we may not sin. Now, again, what I love about John, we talked about this last week, is that this is towards the end of his life. It's not at the very end. He hasn't been arrested yet. Um, this is while he was probably still in Ephesus. He's writing this letter. But he is a much older man now. And he knows he's kind of coming to the end of his time. And as he writes the church, again, he's writing like the whole church, he's not revealing like some new deep truth that nobody's ever heard. He's not going, okay, now it's finally time for me to reveal this amazing thing that I've kept back all these years. He's revealing the truth that they've had from the very beginning that they might know in a, in a deeper way. And so when he says, I'm writing this that you, that you sin not, I mean, it's, that's, that's about as basic as it gets, right? We could go over to the Sunday school, and, and we'd learn pretty quickly, sin is bad, don't do that. And we go, oh, all right, and I learned something in Sunday school. But again, John writes this with the idea of wanting our joy to be full. And what's going to rip us off from our joy is sin. Again, it's a simple concept. We all get it. But John lays down the truth again as a reminder to go, look, I want your joy to be full. But you know what's going to rip you off is sin. It's giving in to temptation. It's, it's letting those things, that, that idea like, okay, if I give in to this, I get this instant gratification now. And I think that's really the hook. That's the temptation when it comes to sin. Is that we want something, but we know if we have to do it God's way, we got to take the long way around, or we may not get to it at all. But if I do it my way, I can have it right now. And, and it's that fast food kind of mentality we have with life, we have with our spiritual life as well. I want it now, so I'm just going to go get it. Well, we've all been there. That on the other side of that, it isn't satisfying. You know, sin has pleasure for a season, but it is a short season. And on the other side of it, man, it is emptiness and hollowness of life, and it steals our joy. Now, the things that John pointed to in the first chapter that are to make for our joy, or that make up our joy, parts of it, these are the very things it steals. First of all, it steals our fellowship with God. And it's not because God turns his back on us. And I think that's important, because we still get this idea, and I've even had people teach this, that, that when you sin, God's like, that's it, 
and he just turns away, turns his back on us. That's not how it worked in the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam sinned, God was looking for him. God was searching him out. It was Adam who hid. And that's what sin does to us, is that we hide from God. We don't want to get in the Word. We don't want to pray. We don't want to be around other believers. We want to do our thing, right? And so it, it gets in the way of our fellowship with God. The next is it gets in our way of fellowship with each other. Sin is absolutely selfish. It doesn't think about other people. It's not for other people. It is what I want at any cost. I don't care what it does to anyone else. That's what sin's about. It is self-centered at its very core. And so it breaks fellowship with one another because you might get in the way of the thing that I want, and I can't allow that. And so i got to keep distance, right? And so we lose that fellowship. It just steals our joy. The thing is, and it's a, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking situation, is that we've all seen people, maybe even at times we've been the people who are neck deep in it and insisting we're happy. I'm so happy. I don't want to change. I've had a person yell in my face, I'm happy. <laughs> it doesn't look like happiness. It certainly doesn't look like joy, right? It steals our joy, and it, it just deceives us. Even when we're miserable, even when we're empty, we can start to believe that it's who we want to be. But I love the fact that John's realistic about this, too. So he doesn't just say, hey, you know what? You guys stop sinning. And like everyone would go, wow, that's a great idea. I never thought about that. Let's just stop. We'll just quit. You know, and that's not what the Holy Spirit is saying through John. Just, just, just stop sinning. In fact... John makes it clear that when we do, well, first of all, I guess in chapter 1, he talked about if we say that we haven't sinned or we say we have no sin in our lives, we're a liar. We've deceived ourselves. In fact, we're calling God a liar. And now, as he talks about these things, he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's important what he's saying. It's not like, oh, hey, and when you do sin, hey, no big deal. Jesus will take care of it. He's saying, no, don't sin. Fight against it. Stand against it. But when we do fail, understand, God doesn't turn his back. In fact, he's your advocate. He is right there to heal, to restore, to forgive. It's what he came to do. It's only through the blood of Christ that we are seen sinless, right? And so again, John isn't saying, oh, just stop sinning. He's just saying that now that we've got the Holy Spirit in us, man, we've got the ability to stand against the flesh. Before we came to Christ, we had no choice. If we just did whatever our flesh wanted to do. It's like, I always picture the, our old fallen nature like this really spoiled brat. You know, it just demands its way. And back in the day, we just go, well, okay, if that'll shut you up, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. But now we've come to Christ, and we don't have to obey the flesh. And he can throw a fit, and can stomp its feet, he can hold its breath. Go ahead. I'm not going to obey you anymore. In fact, we've now been put in charge of the flesh by the power of Christ. But, again, we will all have times that we fail. We'll all have times when we come up short. We'll have times when we're given to sin. And, and, and when we do, we need to know, man, we have an advocate. 
Jesus came for this purpose. In fact, verse 2 says that he himself is the propitiation, means the, the full payment of our debt, that he came and paid everything we owed, past, present, and all of our future. So anything we do in the future, also completely covered. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I can believe that he paid for all my past debt before I came to Christ. But once I gave my life to him, well, now it's my responsibility. Nope, he's paid for them all. John's also saying that, you know, again, we're not to take that for granted. We're not to see it as something as small or take it lighthearted. If we do, we're missing the point altogether. It is a great price. The greatest price was paid for us. And along with that, you know, people say, well, I keep struggling. You know, I keep, I have these things that they just always draw me. And they're always, I, I think I'm free of it. And I find myself back there again. Man, am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Am I just playing the game? And so John answers that. I, mean, I love how the Holy Spirit kind of just knows how our mind works and the progression we tend to go in. And in verse 3, he says, By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You want to know that you're saved? Are you keeping his commandments? Now, hold right there for a second because we tend to go, the Ten Commandments? That's not what John's talking about. And I've heard, had people, again, point to this and say, well, yeah, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments, and you've got to keep all the Old Testament law and all the Levitical law, and then, then you're really showing that you love the Lord. If you're doing all of this stuff, jumping through all these hoops, it's not what John's saying at all. He's pointing to, not just in this verse, but really from this point on, about the greatest commandments. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? What is the greatest commandment of all? And, and it was a big debate among the Jewish scholars, right? Because if they could determine what the greatest of the Ten Commandments was, well, then you're like, okay, that's the top, that's a big one. You could also kind of figure out what the least important was, right? And it was this thing that they were constantly debating. And so when they asked that question, they were thinking of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus didn't point to one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, he didn't point to any of the Levitical law or traditions, or the festivals, or feasts, or any of that, he pointed to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy 10 says to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said the second greatest commandment is like it. And he points to Leviticus 19, where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know that you're Christ? You want to know that you know him? Love the Lord your God with all you can, with all you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a whole lot more than simply just being a good member of society or being a good member of the community. To love God first actually puts everything else into perspective. That if we're loving God, then of course we're loving His Son that was given for us, and we're in awe of what the cross represents and the price that was paid on our behalf, and we're amazed that we're given the Holy Spirit. And on top of all of that, not only are we loving God with all that we are, we should naturally be loving our neighbor as well. Because if I love him, then I love the things he loves. And he loves my neighbor. And he loves the lost. And he loves the church. And he loves the criminals. And he loves the sinners. And he loves everybody. And that's what John's pointing to. You want to know that you're his? Man, love the Lord and love people care about who they are, care about their lives, care about their salvation. 
Again, I think it's something people misunderstand, like this is some sort of checklist, that if they can point to the Ten Commandments and go, well, I'm not breaking any of those, I'm good. I've had several conversations with different people over the years where they've been causing troubles, and, and finally I, I have to have an uncomfortable meeting with them and go, you cannot keep doing this, right? And they'll say, well, what commandment am I breaking? Show me one of the ten that I'm breaking. It's not one of the ten. You are not loving your neighbor. Oh, the things that I'm doing, I'm just speaking the truth because they need to hear it. But you're not speaking it in love. And you are doing damage and you're causing division and you're belittling and you're, you're doing harm. You're not speaking the truth in love. And there's this wake of destruction behind a life like that. There is broken relationship after broken relationship. There is hurt people. There are broken people. All in the wake of this supposed righteous person speaking the truth, right? They're not bearing the fruit of love in their life. And the way John puts it is, they're not walking as Jesus walked. So a person might be able to say, well, I'm just telling the truth, and I'm just speaking righteousness, and these people don't want to hear it. That's not how Jesus walked. Jesus loved the lost. In fact, the insult that the, the religious leaders hit him with was that he's the friend of sinners. Now, again, in the Jewish mindset, that was huge. That was like the lowest of the low. You were like dirt, the friend of sinners. And I've always pictured Jesus just going, yep, that's who I am. I'm the friend of sinners. And that's who we're called to be as well. Right? Not beating people with the scriptures, not belittling them and tearing them down so that we feel better about ourselves. That is not how Jesus walked. Now John says, I write no new commandment to you. And then right behind that says, I do write a new commandment to you. Right? And so what he's pointing to is that scripture of Leviticus 19 of love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, look, this has been around for a long time. Moses wrote that way back. You know, a lot of times people will point to those teachings as being Jesus' teachings. Well, Jesus taught to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, he was just quoting Moses. So that teaching had been around for a long time. He's saying, I'm, I'm not writing you something you've never heard before, but I want you to see it with brand new eyes. I want you to receive it like it's a brand new command from God. And in some ways, it was because they had Jesus as the example of what that really meant, right? It wasn't just the idea that was given to Moses to love God and love your neighbor. They had the reality of how Jesus did it. And that he wanted them to see it with brand new eyes, to understand it to a whole new depth. And he says, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. He's talking about within our hearts. Not, not in the world, right? Because the world's getting darker all the time. The light that's there is getting extinguished. It's getting darker and more evil all the time. But within our own hearts, he's going, man, the light is already shining. You already belong to Christ. The darkness is being driven out or is, is passing away from your life. And, and again, it's that idea of getting deeper with Jesus. It's this truth that you've known, that you're going to understand to a deeper level, that pushes that darkness out even a little bit more. That we would be an example to those in our lives of what Jesus really looks like. 
how he acts, how he treats people, in what we say and why we say it. That's a big difference. Again, you can speak the truth and you can do horrible damage. Or you can speak the truth in love. And, and the check for me is that if I'm just dying to tell somebody something, oh, Lord, you just let me at them, man. I'm going to let them have it. I know exactly what they need to hear. I should probably keep my mouth shut, right? But if it's something where I'm like, oh, please don't make me talk to them about that, you know, and I'm worried that it's going to break their heart, it's going to hurt their feelings, and it, it's something that it, it's true, but I don't want to be the one to deliver that truth, then that's probably something the Lord is going to want me to share because I'm going to speak it in love. I'm, I'm going to bring it to them in a way that's compassionate and understanding and because I really do care about who they are, right? So what we say, why we say it, but then it, should need, it also needs to be in line with what we do, right? That our actions are in line with the things that we say. That we should be those that are walking in the light, allowing the light to grow in us, and not as those who are walking in darkness. All right. Any questions before we go on? When you talk to loving neighbor in the context of social media, it seems like many folks quickly go away online and turn away what happens in private. How do we love people on social media? Yeah, that's tough. Because all they have to do one click and you're gone. It's <laughs> like, unfriend, beep. I think it's the same way we love anyone, right? And it, loving someone doesn't necessarily mean doing what they want. In fact, usually it doesn't. It means being willing to tell them what they need to hear in a loving way, right? It's delivering truth. I, I picture taking the gospel or the good news to somebody, like offering just the best meal you've ever seen to a starving person, going, look, this is for you. And if they're like, no, I've got a box of Twinkies, I don't need that. That's their choice. But I've lovingly delivered something to them, right? And I think that's, that is how we love our neighbor. It doesn't mean we just give them whatever we want. We're not called to be the doormats of the world. You know, sometimes we, it is important that we have a tough love. They were like, no, there's a boundary here, <laughs> you know. And, and that's okay. That's showing love. But what we're doing more than anything else is we're wanting to reveal the character of Christ to someone. You know, Paul said that to some it is the fragrance of life, but to others it is the fragrance of death. And, and really, we have no choice over that. But our job is just to deliver the fragrance of Christ, right? To make him known, right? That's how we love our neighbor. Social media is the same. Social media, I think, is a little bit weirder, but <laughs> we got to just navigate those waters carefully. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, think, I don't think that changes anything, though. I think it makes it harder because, again, yeah, people can just type whatever they want. And they're super brave at their keyboard, not so brave in person. Um, but it doesn't change what our job is. You know, even if somebody's harsh with us, even if somebody is angry or aggressive, our job is still the same, to deliver the truth of who Jesus is in a loving way, right? And it's up to them to, to receive him or not. So, great question, though. Any, any others? Okay. Verse 12. 
says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father abides, does, excuse me, who, who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing of the Holy One, and you, all, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, John breaks into this kind of poetic section of Scripture. And there's some question of whether this was a song or a hymn in his day, or it became one after he wrote this. But it's just kind of John's style, where suddenly he just like breaks out into a song. And he does similar things in the gospel, and he's, he's just very poetic in the way he describes certain things. But here he writes this section, and he's got three groups that he identifies, children, fathers, and young men. Uh, but this isn't really applying to age groups. He's not saying, you know, kids of a certain age or children and then young men and then fathers on top of that. He's talking about people in their Christian walk. So children are people who just got saved. doesn't matter how old they are. They just came to Christ. New believers. Young men, they're grounded in the Word, and they've got lots of zeal. And then fathers are mature Christians, right? And this applies to both women and men. It's the idea of like mankind encompassing all of mankind. It's the way that this is written. When he speaks of children, he says, Rejoice because your sins have forgiven you, and you have known the Father. Uh, again, this is what all believers should be excited about. Man, our sins are forgiven. All of the things that we've done wrong, all the false motives that we've had, they're erased in Jesus Christ. And, and he makes a point of saying not just those who have believed, but of the entire world. Everybody who has ever existed or will ever exist on the earth, all of their sins are paid for. The only thing left to do is receive the payment. That's it. They're all paid for. And for a new believer, this is one of the things I love, that when they get that, how exciting it is for them. That they're just like, wow, I feel clean. I feel like a burden has been lifted from me. My sins have been forgiven. 
And it's something that should cause us, no matter where we're at in our Christian walk, to rejoice again and go, yeah, man, I remember that excitement. We should all be excited about that. But it tends to be those who are just saved that are super fired up and get it because it's fresh in their minds. And then he addresses fathers. You have known him who is from the beginning. Um, While children are the ones that just got saved, fathers are those who have been walking a long time. Man, they weathered some storms. They've suffered loss. And, and these trials that they've been through have drawn them closer into fellowship with God. He's been tried and tested in all ways. And they've known him who has been from the beginning to be faithful. Then young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Um, they're not new believers, These are people grounded in the Word. They're strong in their faith. uh, But they're usually the people on the front lines of spiritual warfare. These are the people that they haven't gotten old enough to be comfortable and lazy. (laughs) And they're not young where they're just ignorant of a lot of things. They're They're right in that zone, right in the sweet spot of ministry, right? Is that they're excited about the things of the Lord and they want to see Him work in their lives. And I think these are also the ones the enemy targets the most. They're the ones that want to change the world for the kingdom of God. And so he is on them. They're in spiritual combat, day in and day out. They've got the zeal and they've got the strength. And they know that the Lord is the one that's overcome the evil one. And they're in line with him. Now, as he brings these out, no matter which group he's talking about, it's meant to be an encouragement. And he's saying, like, these are the things you excel in. These are your giftings. These are your callings according to where you're at in your walk. And then he goes right into, and here's what will steal it all from you. Loving the world are the things that are in it. So it doesn't matter if you're an old-time mother or father in the Lord. What will steal away your gifting and your ability to minister is the love for the world and the things that are in it. that all temptation, all sin falls into one of these three categories that John points to, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when Eve was in the garden, she saw the fruit, lust of the eyes. She thought it was good for eating, lust of the flesh. And she determined that she would eat it. She knew better than God, pride of life. Right? And it's all the same. It doesn't matter what sin, temptation it is. We see it. It looks good to us. We think we want it doesn't matter what God says. It falls into those categories. And these are the things that will steal your joy, that will steal your gifting, your calling. And really what it comes down to is that fallen nature that we still wrestle with day in and day out. While the devil is a very real adversary, he only exploits the things that the flesh already wants. I think our own nature is a greater enemy because it just knows us so well. And it just twist the knife and and it just manipulates and tries to get us to fall in and cave over and over again to these things. And it's that spirit that he refers to as being the spirit of Antichrist. He says, you've heard that an Antichrist is on the way. That's true. But there's plenty of Antichrists around now. It's just that spirit of rebellion that I know better than God, that I can choose better than God has, has laid out for me. Now, the Antichrist Again, he'll appear in the tribulation. He will be the ultimate human 
rebel against God, but the attitude is alive and well today without that one individual. It's just believing, man, I can do anything I want. And John had seen it. Again, this is toward the end of John's life. So he'd seen people get raised up in the church and fall away from the Lord and do horrible things. Church history, this isn't scripture, so take it for what it's worth. There's some conjecture in here. But church history tells a story. Um, if you remember in the book of Acts, this group of young men is raised up. Stephen was one of them that would be martyred. And then also there was a guy named Nicholas. Well, church history tells us that Nicholas, who was this up-and-comer in the church, man, one of the young men that was fired up and one of the leaders, went off the deep end and started a cult that will be referred to in the book of Revelation as the Nicolaitans. And every time they're mentioned, the Lord says, and what thing they do, I hate. That he had taken a little bit of the word and drew people away and started his own thing. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And, and we see it in our day. John saw it in his day. And it's, it's tough, man. It's rough. We look at it and go, how can somebody seem so on fire for the Lord one day and seem to fall away the next? Were they saved and then they lost it? Well, John actually gives us the answer here. Is it, he said that if they were of us, they would not have departed from us. That, that by leaving, by going away from Christ, by saying, oh, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm not anymore, it, it's that they never were at all. No matter what they say, no, it didn't matter how high their hands were raised during worship, how many times they showed up for church and Bible study, none of that mattered. That if they can depart from Christ, they never belonged to him ever. And that's an important thing for us to know. Now, it's hard from our perspective because we see that and I, I see it as one of two things. Exactly, first of all, what John is talking about here, they never belonged to Christ. And so they departed. They were into church. They were into the group. Uh, there was another guy in the book of Acts called Simon the Sorcerer. And Simon loved the whole church atmosphere. And he loved the things of the Holy Spirit. But he was never a believer, right? And I think there's that person. And that's, that's who John is referring to here. But I think there's also the one that goes through all the same motions. They look exactly the same to us. But they actually are saved. And the Lord's going to bring them all the way back around so they know that they're saved. Right? But that's a rough road. For us, we can't know. Right? And we just need to leave those things in his hands and trust him uh, that he's working these things out. Right? And that's why in verse 20 he talks about that we have an anointing of the Holy One and that we know all things. Well, it doesn't mean that we know everything there is to know, but the Holy Spirit in us does. And so he's able to explain some of these hard questions. He's able to get us through and, and get us to understand that he's in control. And really, again, it doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, that anyone, anyone who denies Jesus as being the Christ, being the Messiah, the Savior of the world, if they don't believe that, then they don't have any truth. That too often people go, oh, well, they're not a Christian, but they've got a lot of really great points about family or alive. It's like, well, anything they have is temporal anyhow. It's, it's temporary. They don't have anything eternal because if they have no relationship with the Son, then they have no relationship with the Father as well. 
Now, in John's day, a lot of it was that there, so much of the Jewish community was saying, well, we don't need Jesus. We've got a relationship with the Father. And, and here, John's making it real clear. No, you don't. That Jesus is the bridge between mankind and God. And so you might have tradition. You might have an understanding of the Scriptures. You might have all of these things that the Jewish nation still has today. But you're still separated from God because only Jesus connects us to Him again. Right? So it doesn't matter how much a person says, it comes down to that simple truth. All right. Any questions before we move on? Robert. Sure. So, okay, it's kind of like the word kingdom, right? So the word kingdom can mean the kingdom here on earth, God's people. It can mean his kingdom in heaven, right? But it's the same word, and sometimes that's interchangeable, right? So it's the same type of thing when he uses the word world, okay? There's the lost world, the physical world, that will eventually be destroyed, right? But then there's the world of people. That's what he came to say. Okay? So it's the difference between a worldly kingdom, maybe, and, and the people that make up the world. Right? So for God so loved the world, meaning he loved the people in the world. Yeah? That's what he came for. Not the physical creation. Okay. But the things of the fallen world, that's what we're to step away from. We're trying to save people out of that. He came to save people out of that world. Right? Yeah. But yeah, there's a couple things like that in Scripture that words are interchangeable and it gets a little bit confusing. So, does that help? Yeah. Uh, so then he's making sort of a, a bubble of Christians who are not, they're living in such a way that's not of the world. Yeah. But are we called to go outside that bubble? And oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, he came to save that which was lost, right? right? We can't do it in a bubble. If all we do is come together in church and this is our little group of Christians and we never go out of that, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not going out, right? We're called to go. And, and that's who he came to say. Yeah. But it's saving them out of a fallen world, right? So, great question though, man. Anything else? All right. Verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as he has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, and when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, he points to this 
idea of the false teachers, those that would deceive, those that would lead us astray. And again, there's always this thing to bring Jesus down. Oh, Jesus wasn't really God. Jesus wasn't really the, the only way to heaven, not really the Savior of the world. He was a good teacher. He had some truth. And what that's doing is just bringing him down. It's taking away his deity. Oh, he was a man who somehow achieved godhood. Again, it's bringing him down. Um, the other thing that they'll often bring in is this idea of that they have some new truth. Oh, this is a thing that's never been revealed. Nobody's ever got this before. And either it's through a visitation of an angel or a dream that they had or a vision, or maybe they've somehow pieced some scriptures together to mean something they were never meant to. But I love that John says, no, this is the truth you've heard from the beginning. It's not some deep new thing no one's ever got. This is the same truth, same foundational truth of Jesus that you had in the very beginning. And man, you know if you stick to that, you're in the Lord. You don't have to have some new thing, something that tickles the ear and, and sounds impressive. Just stick to what is true in Jesus. Let it live in you. Let it grow in you as our relationship grows with the Father. And again, he's warning about those that would deceive. I think one of the things that's always been tricky for me is getting tuned in to the, the Holy Spirit when he warns me about something. You know, I talked about that it's like playing red light, green light with the Holy Spirit. That's how I, you know, just get the red light. And you're like, okay, stop. Green light, go. And that's, that's about as deep as I can get. But there are times that people say, oh, hey, I, I've got this great idea, this great truth, and, and they'll unload whatever they think this truth is, and I just get this red light. It's like, no. And I, I can't come up with a verse that, that counters that. I can't come up with something why it's wrong right away. It just doesn't sit right. There's just something the Holy Spirit goes, no. The problem that I have with discernment is, is that it's hard to tell, for me, is it that God is speaking to me, giving me the gift of discernment, or am I just being a jerk, right? Because that can be the case too, right? So I just don't like somebody. You know, like, oh, I'm not listening to anything you say. And I'm just calling that discernment. <laughs> and that's too often can be it. Where it's like, and then the Lord has to deal with me on that, right? Show me that I was the one who was being wrong. But I want to get in step. I want to get in line so that when the Holy Spirit goes red light, I freeze. Right? And then when somebody says something that just doesn't ring true, that I just, I don't accept it. I'm just like, I don't know why, but no, I'm just going to keep that on the shelf until I get time to pray through it and study through it and listen to the Lord. Right? And we need that because there are still plenty of people out there that just love to deceive, love to make themselves important at the cost of others. And, and he tells us again, man, you've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He is speaking to you. In fact, so much so, you wouldn't need anybody to teach you. He can teach you all things. And so we need to be listening for what he's saying to us through the word of God and just to our hearts directly. They'll never contradict each other. They'll always be in line. And he, and he puts this together, and I like how he does, because it can could, it could kind of seem like John's just jumping around a little bit. But he really is tying things together in a, a consistent thought. As he talks about the Holy Spirit, man, Jesus said, I'm not leaving you here as orphans, but I give you the Holy Spirit. And so now John is saying, look, we're given the Holy Spirit by Jesus, and we're to listen to him and follow him until Jesus returns. And when he does return, and he will return, and we don't want to be those that are found wanting. We don't want to be those that are, that are not 
in step with the Holy Spirit, that are doing our own things, that are chasing after the things of the world. Instead, we want to be those that are chasing after Jesus and looking for his return. Amen? Amen.